Dear Lord, I thank you for that incredible reminder to make the most of every moment. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak today. I pray that your word would change us and would, would move us to be grateful people, that you would, you would guide our steps. And Father, you would lead us today to make every day that you give us to count for the kingdom of God. Lord, we know that life is short and time goes quick. And we pray that we would be right in the middle of serving you every day of our lives. I love you, Jesus, and we trust you in your name. Amen. You know, there's, um, I'm glad you're here today. Good morning. Um, I want to uh, tell you, a couple weeks ago, I was in a Bible study with our men's group, and, and Rick Cuscio sitting right down here, and he's our uh, leader in our church and our resident MacGyver. Uh, and uh, he, he can just build anything. And, and uh, he told me this story, and I couldn't believe it. He, he said, uh, I don't know how long ago, a year or so ago, when that guy came to your house, um, the guy came to his shop and asked Rick, I want you to build me a stainless steel coffin. And uh, I, I want it hermetically sealed or whatever, I don't know, sealed. And I want holes up here at the top so I can shoot in argon gas, and I want to sell it to people that die, and then we can put that argon gas in there, seal it all up, and then whenever they discover a cure for whatever killed them, they could uh, resuscitate them and give them that cure. And he said, I think I can sell this, and I think it's going to make a lot of money. I don't know if Maori has that at his funeral home as an option, but I would encourage you not to invest in that, not to buy that. That, that won't work. <laughs> so I thought, goodness gracious, I mean, people really think that, that that'll happen. But, you know, there's all kinds of technology out there of people hoping to cheat death. Now, what that reveals is that people are searching for meaning, People all around us are searching for hope, searching for direction, and in this life, but also in the life to come. And I want you to understand something very important. The Bible speaks to this, that the only hope we have in life and in the next is found in Christ. That, that Jesus is our only hope. And Jesus gives us real hope and real confidence in the, in the difficulties in this world and I've seen this, the times that God has lifted my head and, and strengthened me when I face difficult moments. I, I've seen this as God moved me to face the reality of death, that there's real hope in life, in death, and it's only found in Christ. And, and, and God has planted us in this place to be a group of people that point the world to the hope of Christ. And this is why in this series, I pray that we understand how to become stronger witnesses for Christ. We, we've got to become stronger leaders, stronger men and women as we represent Christ to a world that is searching. And I pray that we see this today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in the book of Luke. And we're going to turn to chapter 19 in the book of Luke. And and, uh, and this is a, uh, um, a moment in the life of Christ, an encounter with Jesus, um, when this noticeably short man experiences this real hope in Christ. And um, Luke is the one that wrote this gospel, and, and the, the, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And, um, 
And, and Luke provides this most uh, accurate chronological account of the life of Christ, of, of what, what he went through. And, and it's interesting about Luke, he's an interesting character because uh, he wrote a third of the New Testament. Um, Luke wrote the book of Luke, uh, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And, and those two books alone compile, compiled together make up a third of the New Testament. So he's a significant contributor. Now, Luke was a Gentile. He was a doctor. And, uh, and it's important to understand his focus, why he wrote his gospel. Each of the four gospels have a different, different focus. For instance, the book of Matthew. Matthew was passionate about the Jews seeing that Jesus was God. Because Matthew was a Jew and he wanted God's people to come to faith in him. Mark was the first gospel written and he kind of wrote his gospel helping non-Jews that were facing persecution. We looked last week at John, the story of the blind man that was healed. And John wrote his gospel um, with this uh, idea that I want to I communicate the deity of Christ. That Christ was in fact God in the flesh. And Luke... He, um, he wrote his story to, about the Gentiles, that, that Christ came for the Gentiles. And, and Christ came to earth, and he lived this incredible life. He died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And Luke was a Gentile. Now, that's like you and I. Uh, probably most of us in this room, I don't know that there are any Jewish-born um, folks in here today, but, but, it, but we are Gentiles. Gentiles are all those that are outside the Jewish faith. And it was a big deal that Jesus came to save the Gentiles. And Luke wanted the world to know that, hey, Gentiles can know Christ, can be saved. That's big news for us. And, and Luke was always pointing the world through his books to, to the fact that Gentiles could be saved. For example, in Luke chapter 5, Luke writes this story about Levi. And this is a big deal. Levi was a tax collector. And, and Levi was saved. Jesus changed his life, and Luke writes about it, that, that Levi throws this big party and invites all his tax collector friends and says, hey, Jesus can change you. And Levi threw this party so his friends would meet Jesus. And see, Luke was big on this. And, and Luke 19, what we're going to look at today, I think is related to the, to the story in Levi because Zacchaeus, who we're going to look at, this short guy was a tax collector. Now, this is a big deal because tax collectors were hated. And, and I guarantee you, though, I don't think Zacchaeus was there when Levi threw his party of all his tax collector friends. But I guarantee you, Zacchaeus heard about it. Because when a group of tax collectors experience life change, word spreads. And this is how, how, how God works in the world. When God changes people's lives, do you know that word spreads about that? And, and people talk about that. Hey, Jesus changed him. And here's one thing I want you to grab a hold of today. That, that all through history, the gospel of Christ spreads most rapidly through relationships. And I want you to see that. That, that, that God has planted us and given us these relationships that we have. And that's God's plan for the gospel to spread. Now, we have some Gideons in our church, and I love some of those stories about Gideons putting Bibles in, in hotel rooms and, and people pulling out a Bible and coming to faith in Christ. But, but I, would, I would gather that most of us in this room 
came to know Christ because of a relationship that we had. Somebody led us to Christ. And that's how the gospel spread. And this is how the gospel continues to spread. That, and though in your chair we have our, our, this booklet that Chad will talk about later that talks about all of our missions all around the world. And we are passionate about going all over the world to share the gospel and to help people come to know Christ. But we are equally passionate about sharing the gospel right where we live. And I want us to understand that when we go to work, when we go into our neighborhoods, when we, uh, when we go to Thanksgiving with our families, it's through those relationships that God will use to communicate the gospel. And church family, we have got to become stronger witnesses for Christ in the world we live. Now, we say it like this. One of the values we have as a church is that uh, and, and you'll hear this come out of me all the time, that, that we as a church will be engaged together as ambassadors for Christ. And this is what I pray, that together with the, the pursuits, the work of our church, that we are engaged as Christ's ambassadors. And that if we have the privilege of seeing Christ return, which all the signs, there was an earthquake again today, all the signs point to all this stuff. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. It may, I don't know if it's going to be Tuesday or not, but, but someday Jesus is going to return. And if we have the privilege of being in the middle of the spiritual battle when Jesus returns, I pray that he finds us faithfully serving as ambassadors for Christ. The day that Christ calls me home, the day that I draw my last breath, I pray that he finds me that I get to draw my last breath right in the middle of his will, serving him as an ambassador for Christ. That's where we got to be. Now, um, stand with me. Let's read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And, and I pray that we can, we can glean some important truths in this encounter with Jesus. Verse 1, Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be a guest in the house of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I, restored it, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. Now, now let's look at verse 1. Um, notice this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Uh, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Luke tells us about this, that, that this is right before Christ moves into, uh, goes to Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. So he's about to go to the cross. That's the timeline here. 
And at this point in the ministry of Jesus, word was spreading rapidly about Christ. I mean, the Jews, they hated him. They were trying to kill him. They were plotting against him. But word about Christ had spread just all over the place. They had, they had heard about him healing a blind man. They, they had heard about him feeding the 5,000, all these things that Jesus had done. People were looking at his life going, he has to come from God. Now, this is important because um, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, I, I challenge you to look at the evidence of Christ because you can, you've got to confront any thinking person has to confront the person of Jesus because the way he lived, the things that he did prove, I believe, that he came from God. And, and, and so if you're a thinking person and you're skeptical about is Jesus really who he said he was, examine the evidence. And that's what people were doing. They were looking at him going, okay, something's big with this guy. And it's interesting, as, as word was spreading, now, now he goes to Jericho. That's the city closest to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And Jericho was an interesting place. It was a beautiful place. Um, we, it's, it's an historic place. There's a story, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Um, Jericho was a popular city. And, um, and it was beautiful. It was like a, it was like a vacation destination. Uh, it was known as the City of Palms. This kind of reminds me of Palm Springs, if you've ever been there. Beautiful place, um, incredible climate. You didn't have to worry. It didn't have really a bad winters. The balsam trees were there. It smelled really good. They had these cypress flowers. They had, they had balsam plantations. Like it said that um, Antony and Cleopatra in history, Antony gave Cleopatra the proceeds of the balsam plantation. So this was a wealthy place. It was a, it was a vacation destination. It's like what my father-in-law always calls, a, you know, steal your dollar silly. I mean, I mean silver dollar city, um, uh, that place. Uh, so, so this was one of those vacation places where people are just dropping cash. I mean, it's, it, it's just a, a place that people went to hang out. And, um, and so there was a lot of money flowing through Jericho. There was a military base there, and so, so it was a popular place. And, and, um, and it's interesting because as Jesus came through, I mean, this was bigger than Twitter back then. I mean, I mean, they got the tweets out that, hey, Jesus is coming. I mean, everybody's going, hey, Jesus is coming. He's coming to town. Let, let's, and word was spreading, and people started gathering. I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder if Jesus is going to heal somebody, or, or if he, is he going to feed somebody all this food? Am I going to get to eat when I go to Jesus? Is he going to like cast some demon out? I want to go check it out. And it's interesting, as, as people were curious about Jesus. Now, if you have your notes, I want you to pull it out. Now, we're going to, we're going to reverse it on you. I, want you. I want you to look at point number three today. And I want you to see this, that point number three says this, that following Christ grows a passion for the gospel to spread. Now, it's interesting because all these people are, are curious about Christ. They want to see him. I want to watch him. I want to see what he does. And can I tell you that today the same is true? People are curious about Christ. When God moves in your life, when God changes you, when God speaks to you, do you know that the people that are closest to you are curious about that? They're interested in that. Because let me tell you something. We live in a world that people are searching for answers. And, and like Zacchaeus is a great example, and all through history we see this, that money doesn't satisfy us. Money or success or, or status, that doesn't fill the inner needs of our heart. 
And this is why you look at the stars and, and all these famous people, some of them are the most miserable because they're in their pursuit of all these, this wealth and fame and prosperity, but that doesn't satisfy the inner heart. And we see all this all through Scripture, and this is what's going on right here. People are curious about Jesus, and, and, and I want us to not, not be blinded by the fact that, you know what, I don't need to say anything. I don't need to talk about Jesus. I don't need to be a strong witness because sometimes we convince ourselves that, you know what, I'm not going to talk to anybody about Christ that's in my life. You know, there's a verse that, that has impacted me so greatly. Proverbs 10.5 says this. Solomon writes, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. And I remember when I memorized that verse and thought back to my, my days in western Oklahoma. My, 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 uh, my, I went to college at southwestern Oklahoma State, and then, and then for two, two years I served there at a, at a church in western Oklahoma, or for one year I served at First Baptist Thomas. And when I went there, I didn't know the difference between a tractor and a combine. I didn't know the difference. I was a city boy. And, and I remember my first experience at wheat harvest. And I was, it was amazing because those farmers would go out and they would look at the wheat and they'd go, not ready, not ready. Then they'd go back out and look, oh, it's not ready. And the moment that they said, hey, wheat's ready, man, combines, trucks, tractors, man, they were just getting it done. I mean, that was the time to work. Solomon writes, he who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. You know that for 2,000 years, Jesus has been telling us that it's harvest time. Matthew 9, Jesus gets his disciples together and says, look at the harvest, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. And do you know that you and I are the workers called to this harvest field? And this is why I pray that we are passionate about the gospel spreading through us and in us. And I pray that we don't miss that. Because this is what's going on. The disciples are with Jesus. The gospel is spreading. People are curious. They're wanting to know what, what's going on. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, in this crowd of people, we find Zacchaeus. We hear about, we know, we know several things about him. His name actually means the just or the pure. I mean, talk about his mom and dad missing that one because he was not just, he was not pure. He was a, a tax collector. He was, uh, he was crooked. He was, he was unfair. And he was a Jew, and, and this is a big deal because he was one of God's people. And here's what went on in, in Zacchaeus' life. Um, tax collectors would be, uh, would be sought out from the Jews. And what they would do is they would say, hey, if you are willing to collect taxes for us, then whatever you collect over and above our requirement, you can just have. And so what these tax collectors would do, the reason they were so hated, is that, is that they, would, they would make themselves rich by taking more money than they were required. And so it's worse than like IRS agents here. I don't know if we have any IRS agents that work at our church, but they probably don't advertise that very much. Um, I don't know. We love you. We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. And, um, but 
But uh, a, a Jewish tax collector, man, these guys were hated. They were seen as traitors. They betrayed their own people. They were crooked. They were wicked. And Zacchaeus was one of them. And it's interesting. We know about him. He was short. So he probably had a little short man disease anyway. But, but he owned a house. He, he was wealthy. And, and look at verse 4. So he ran, he ran on ahead. He, he's small in stature. He's trying to see Jesus, trying to get where he can see as where Jesus is going to pass by. He can't get through, and people are like, man, get out of here, punk, you know. Uh, don't, wanna, don't want him through. So look what he did. He ran on and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, that's interesting to me. This would be like, think about a crooked Wall Street executive. I like that show, American Greed, okay? It's like, it's like one of those American Greed people, if you ever watch that show. It's like um, crooked, executive, successful-looking. And he's climbing up a tree. I mean, can you imagine the humility of that? He's like, he, look how passionate he is. He wants to see him. But this executive climbs a tree, verse 5, and look what happened. And when Jesus came to the place... This probably had to just flip him out. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine? I mean, you're, you're, if you're Zacchaeus, you're trying to get to see him. You're, you, you climb up in a tree and you, you throw out the embarrassment of, of look, Zacchaeus, oh, he's climbing in a tree. What, what's, what's he doing? And Jesus stops, looks up, and calls him by name. Man, Jesus, you knew my name? You, you knew my name? You know what? I can remember when Jesus called my name. You, you'd come to me? He hurries up. He comes down. Point number two, I want you to see this today. Do you know that following Christ opens the door to divine appointments? What this is, this is one of those divine appointments. That, that here's Jesus and his disciples, and they're, they're going on their way, and all this crowd is coming, and then Jesus has a divine appointment with one guy. And it's phenomenal. It, and and that's, this is why you'll hear me say that if if you are bored as a follower of Christ, then you must not be following Christ. Because one of the things that, that is impossible, boredom is impossible for followers of Christ. Because following Christ is the greatest adventure you'll ever take. Because you're moved to take these steps of faith. You're moved to trust the Lord. You're moved to experience God at work. Now, it reminds me of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, says this. says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age, that Jesus is with us, and Jesus leads us and moves us. And I don't want you as a believer in Christ to miss the incredible adventure of the Spirit of God strengthening you, leading you, and guiding your steps, and moving to you, moving these divine appointments, orchestrating these divine appointments in your life. This right here was a divine appointment. You know what? I've seen them. 
I've seen divine appointments in my life, and I just, I'm amazed at them. You know, um, if you know my story about baseball, I, I was a tennis player, but I have this baseball story that came into my life later. And we started the Ambassador Baseball Team in 2008. And, um, and God has just blessed us. He's lead, led us. And we share the gospel after every baseball game we play. And, and we, uh, God has enabled us to, to establish a tournament, a couple of tournaments, but one in Oklahoma City, which is our original tournament that we've had from the beginning. We, uh, we have been able, been blessed by the Lord, and we have started the premier select baseball tournament in Oklahoma City. It's really in the state of Oklahoma. There are 36 teams from six states that come and play in this tournament. It draws all the major college coaches. It draws scouts and all the Division II and junior colleges, and it's amazing. And um, and every year, the semifinals of our tournament, I get to go and share the gospel with with the four semifinal teams, and it's phenomenal. It's it's at Oklahoma City University, and, uh, and, and I get to do it every year, and I just love it. Well, several years ago, the ambassadors lost in the semifinals. Our team's called the ambassadors. We lost in the semifinals to the Wichita Sluggers. It's a really good team out of Wichita. They have multiple teams and great players out of Wichita. And, and, um, and I get up and share the gospel after we lost. And, and then we gave a copy of the book I wrote to every one of those, of those semifinal winners. And, and, um, and we shook hands, and there was a kid that walked by me. His name was Levi Meyer. And uh, I, I didn't really meet Levi outside of just, hey, good game, good, good luck. They ended up winning the tournament that, that year. And uh, Levi went on to play for a junior college in, in Kansas. And then he, they won the national championship in the junior college ranks. And then he went to play at Florida Atlantic. And uh, he had a home run for Florida Atlantic to get to the Super Regional uh, his junior year of college. But you know what's cool about Levi? About a month after we shared the gospel on the baseball field, I'm driving to church, and I get a Facebook message from Levi. He goes, hey, are you the guy that talked about Jesus on the baseball field? Can I call you? So I go, yeah, here's my number. He calls me immediately. He says to me, man, my my grandpa just died. And he said, my grandpa was a believer, and, and he believed in Jesus. He goes, but I don't, but I need to. Will you help me? I lead him to Christ over the phone. And it was incredible. It was a great moment. We stayed in contact all through his Florida Atlantic days. And, and um, he's now coaching. And, and um, about, about four years later, the ambassadors are playing in Manhattan, Kansas at a, at a baseball tournament. And this the coach, we just played a game, we won, and we shared the gospel on the field. And, and, then, and then our guys were getting their stuff in the dugout. The coach for that team comes over to our dugout, and he says to, to our guys, I wasn't there, but he said, hey, uh, you guys may wonder if you're making a difference, but I, but I want you to know you are. And he said, um, several years ago, my son Levi was saved. God used the ambassadors, and since then, our entire family has come to know Christ as their Savior. He just said, I just want to say thank you. And, we, and, and Adrian called me right after that and said, you're not going to believe it. I want you to know something. Following Christ leads you to these divine appointments. 
And this is why we can't be silent about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing in our lives. And this is why we've got to be a church that becomes a stronger witness for Christ. Look what happened, verse 6. Jesus says, this divine appointment, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he hurried up and came down and received him joyfully. And then when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They watched Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house. And, and, and people are grumbling. They're mad about it. They're, they're saying, wait a minute. Why, why is he doing that? Well, he, doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? And they're, and, and, and they're frustrated with that. But here's point number one today, and I want you to see this. Do you know that following Christ moves me to, to significant connections with unbelievers? And, and see, here's what's sad to me, that, that followers of Christ, it seems that the longer we know Jesus, the less lost people we, under, we know, we interact with. And see, I think it should be the opposite. The longer we know Christ, the more we trust in Christ, the more we should connect with people that don't know him. And see, sometimes as Christians, we make the mistake of building walls around our churches, walls around our lives. And see, Jesus set this incredible example that, no, we're to make a difference in the lives of people that don't think like us, that don't act like us. Now, it's important that we, we catch that. Because Jesus is criticized by the religious people like, hey, he's hanging out with sinners. And you know what we sometimes forget? That we are the sinners that Jesus called by name. Sometimes we get so stuck in our own self-righteousness and we forget to preach the gospel to ourselves and we forget where we've come from. We forget that moment that Jesus called our name. And I don't want you to ever forget the moment that Jesus called your name. Sometimes we get so stuck in our theology and our, oh, preacher, you're not deep enough. And we forget to be grateful for the forgiveness that has transformed us. Sometimes we get so stuck in our theological ar arguments that we cease to become impacted by the message of the theology that we're teaching. This is a danger that I face. I don't want to ever forget the moment that Jesus called my name. And see, it's interesting because when you, when I pray for our church, is, is our, like the purpose of our church is this, that our, our, our purpose is to love all people to Christ, equipping them on their journey with God and one another. And I pray that we never cease, we never stray away from that journey of loving people to Jesus. See, the gospel is meant to spread through our lives, through the relationships that we have. And we embrace this in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are therefore Christ ambassadors. It is as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, that God invites you and me to, be a, be, to, be, to represent him to a world that desperately needs to know him. And this is why we've got to strive to connect with people. So a couple of challenges real quick. I want to challenge you to identify unbelievers in your life. Who are the unbelievers that, you, that are in your family that you're going to see at Thanksgiving, that, that, that are in your neighborhood, 
that you can serve by being good neighbors, that you can mow their yard sometime or take them dinner one night, or just love them, being a good neighbor. Um, Who is it that you're working with that you can say, can I tell you something God did in my life today, last week, how God answered a prayer? You know, I pray that we can identify unbelievers. Now, when you identify an unbeliever, it's important that you, un- you recognize, and this is important, don't miss this, make sure that you're the influencer rather than the influenced. Because sometimes we can become influenced by unbelievers and start acting like them. Now, now the truth is we've got to be different. We, we're called to live differently. And, and we see this in, this, in, in Zacchaeus' life. But I pray we can identify this. Second thing, we need to invest time and energy in unbelievers. And this is something I pray you see, that, that, that you take the time to invest your, you invest time, you invest energy in people that don't know Christ. This is our call. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Then you invite them to come along. You know, it's interesting about the Great Commission that um, when it says go and make disciples, the term means as you're on your way, as you go, make disciples. See, that's the Great Commission, as you're on your way. As Jesus was going actually to Jerusalem, he passed through Jericho, meets Zacchaeus, goes to his house. And now we don't know what Jesus said at his house. I wish we had a transcript of that. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll get to see that. But, and I'll get to, we'll get to hear from Zacchaeus, what did he say to you when, you're, when he's sitting at your dinner table? I would have loved to have gotten, I wish Luke would have gotten that. He didn't give us that. So we have to speculate at what Jesus said. But I'll tell you one thing. We know what Jesus did in Zacchaeus' life. He changed him. He saved him. He transformed him from the inside out. Look what he says. Look what he says. Verse, um, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anything, I restore it fourfold. Okay, he's defrauded people. And he said, I'm giving half of what I own to, to poor people. Immediately transformed his life. And then, he, then anybody that defrauded him, can you imagine? Oh, great, Zacchaeus has come to my house. Dang it. And he walks in with his checkbook going, hey, I've got good records of this. I know exactly what I've defrauded you. Here's four times what I took from you. Man, it's amazing. Now, don't mistake the fact. Oh, well, Zacchaeus did this so, he, so Jesus said salvation has come to your house. No. You don't work for salvation. Now catch this. You work from your salvation. Zacchaeus did this works not to get God's favor. Not because, oh God, you'll save me if I do these things. No. Jesus, because you saved me, I am moved to serve you and to work and to honor you with with all I have. And I I don't want you to miss Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That that was me. You know what? That's you. If if today you've walked in this room and you're lost, do you know what the, the Holy Spirit of God is doing right now? He's calling you by name. 
Jesus called me by name. He forgave me, and I, and, and, and I, don't, I didn't deserve it. Neither did you. But he walked up to your life, and he called you by name. Can I just tell you something? God loves you so much, no matter where you've been, no matter how much you've betrayed people or cheated people or been dishonest, no matter where you've been, no matter how you have failed, God's love is stronger than your failure. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you, the blood that he shed is stronger than your failure. That's why Isaiah said, for by his wounds, I have been healed. He was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was on him. By his wounds, I've been healed. Zacchaeus was a man whose life was radically changed by Jesus. Have you forgotten the moment that Jesus called your name? Have you just gotten stuck in your own journey and you stopped reaching out? You stopped trusting the Lord? Turn back to him today. Follow him today. Don't miss the adventure of walking with Jesus every day. I'm going to ask Chad to come out, and, and I want him to sing this song over us.